welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Karen Litzy, and today's episode is brought to you by NetHealth. And NetHealth wants to talk about something important, patients and their outcomes, specifically how great it is when your whole practice is rallied around a solid outcomes management program. Aside from having the power to influence better patient results, you have the right data to assess clinical performance, oversee quality, assess and mentor clinicians, understand patient sentiment, and market to referring physicians. So if you want to learn more about outcomes management, you have to come to the Clinical Outcomes Summit, October 23rd to the 25th in Knoxville, Tennessee. It's hosted by Photo, which is focused on therapeutic outcomes, but it's not just for photo clients. It's for everyone interested in outcomes management to drive change for your patients, clinician, practice, and payers. And Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast listeners get a steep discount on the registration the full summit pass is only $150. Go to outcomesnerd.com and use the discount code LITZY. Now, on today's episode, I'm so happy to have Robin Joy Myers. She is an international speaker, fear strategist, and molecular geneticist. She founded Navigate to Empower to educate and empower women who are thought leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs on how to harness the positive power of fear to their advantage. Robin specializes in implementing strategies for self-awareness, mindset, and leadership through executive coaching, workshops, and speaking engagements. As a molecular geneticist, Robin discovered the TUB36 gene, a gene that affects the wing formation of fruit flies. She is also the host of the popular radio show, Activate Bold Choices, and is a best-selling author of Alone But Not Lonely and The Art of Unlearning. So in this episode, we talk about the science behind the fear response, why self-awareness is key to harnessing the power of fear, recognizing the positive and negative sides of fear, and how Robin transitioned her career throughout different points in her life. So I want to thank Robin for coming on this podcast. We talk about fear a lot as it relates to pain, and I think after listening to this episode, if you're anyone that works with anyone in pain, You'll be better equipped to deal with the fear aspect of those clients. So big thanks to Robin and everyone enjoy. Hey, Robin, welcome to the podcast. I am happy to have you on. Thanks, Karen. I'm so happy to be with you. All right. So we've got a lot to talk about here. Uh, Just given your bio, we've got a lot to dive into. So the first thing I am so curious about is what is a molecular geneticist? And how did you get into that field? Yeah, I have an eclectic background, I know. (laughs) Um, I got into molecular genetics actually really because I didn't get into med school. I thought I was going to go to med school and I didn't get accepted in the States. And of course, my parents were like, you're not going out of the country. I was like, okay. Um, Although now looking back could have been fun. So I went to, I got accepted into Case Western Reserve in Cleveland, Ohio, and it sounded like a great program, so I went. (laughs) 
and, you know, became a molecular geneticist down the road. And what does a molecular geneticist do exactly? You spend quite a lot of time in the lab. I actually was in a lab working with fruit flies. So in a lab with a lot of fruit flies on research. So I was um, on research specifically working, uh, looking for genes that had to do with flight. So lots of DNA, DNA work. And I'm not talking about, I'm talking old school. So now I'm going to date myself. So I'm talking old school, um, 19... 86 to 89 where you know the dna plates were the big glass plates that had to be poured you know, oh not- yeah 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 that that was the hardest part i think <laughs> so we hear a lot about women in stem and how the the push is to get more women involved in these professions so you were involved in this profession in a time where i have to think there weren't a lot of women there you know, interestingly enough, I never really put that together until recently in my life that maybe I was a pioneer. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I was too shy and quiet then to even think about that. But um, it's true. There really weren't. And it was really on the forefront because when I graduated, it was just the beginning of the hum- human genome project and, and all of the human genetics, you know. My first job was with the French Anderson Group, who was part of that genome project. And I, my, one of my companies that I started to work for was the first DNA um, purification columns, like the disposable kind. And it really was on the forefront. So kind of cool. Yeah, kind of, no, I think it's amazing. I think that's just the coolest thing. And, and when I was reading through your bio, I feel like, so just for context, Robin and I have known each other for well over a year now, right? Right. Uh, maybe a year and a half, two years, I'm not quite sure. But I remember reading her bio thinking, well, I didn't know any of this. I didn't know you <laughs> discovered a gene. I did not know any of this. And I just think it's like so cool that here you were, and I will say a pioneer in, in the field of STEM. And I just, I, I just wanted to highlight that for people so that you know, they know that you're coming from this sort of, I would think, analytical, data-driven background. I really am, actually. You know, and, and it's funny how, for me, as I develop, I always thought of my science and the, my master's degree was kind of just a stepping stone into whatever that next step was of my life. Um, but dots do connect you know, and when you start to own it, you do see these patterns. I did. I discovered a gene. And it's funny, it wasn't until recently, even in the salon, when it was like, you did what? Um, Uh And the ironic part is the gene, it's still called TUB36, because it's on the it's on the chromosome region of 36 in fruit flies, has to deal with the ring formation um, for fight or flight for flying like dystrophy and working with fear and that whole concept. It's like, it's just kind of weird and ironic and exciting and just interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. And so let's get into now this other part of your life and your career, which is a fear strategist. So the same question as what is a molecular geneticist I have for what the heck is a fear strategist? (laughs) So, I've, I've taken over owning fear strategy because, you know, 
I, I became a coach, you know, after I left my graduate degree and became a wife and a mother and went through that phase of my life um, and other jobs, I really started to figure out who I was and finding my own voice and dealing with my own fears and, and things like that. And so I've worked with women getting, giving themselves permission to look outside the box and um, working in transitions, really. And so I've been every kind of transitional kind of coach to life strategists. And when it comes down to it, as I've owned the molecular genetics side and the science of fear, I was like, I'm a fear strategist. Like, really, what it is is, is being able to understand that fear is real and I think that's really where my message is right now. Like, if we can, if I can get the world to understand the science of fear, that it's not just this thing that should stop us in our tracks. Yes, it's limiting beliefs, but we can work through that. And I think when people hear the science of it and realize that it does work to our advantage, it creates a whole different conversation in this world. So it makes people stop and say, what is that? instead of like, you're just another coach. Mm -hmm. um, but there is the science. So it, it kind of, for me, kind of stirs up the science in me again to be able to say, let me tell you, <laughs> let me explain my science background to you. Yeah. So let's talk about the science of fear. So what is it about fear? What happens within, I'm assuming that's what happens within our bodies uh, when we have that feeling of fear. So could you tell the listeners a little bit more, give us a background on what is the science? Okay. So it's totally fascinating. So the science is, you know, our brains. So anyone in science will understand this, that, you know, our brain is the most complicated organ in our body. Yes. Um, our emotions basically are lit up from different regions of our brains working together in combination and, and lighting up and igniting. The fear response is in combination of five areas that light up, and that's the amygdala, the sensory cortex, the thalamus, the hypothalamus, and hippocampus. All those areas, when a fear response comes, have to work together to produce that next step for the fear. Now, the interesting thing is, as all of that coordinates together, the amygdala, which is like the size of a cashew, mm -hmm. Um, not only decodes your emotions, but it stores the imprint of every fear, of every response from pre-verbal stages throughout your entire life. Like every single thing. If you think of it like a tattoo, like you keep getting a tattoo with every single thing, every fall, every, um, every emotion, every emotion associated with fear is another tattoo. And I don't think people actually realize, it's almost like if, if you could kind of tell me all about your life and, and actions that have happened, and I could sit there with a, a stamp, an ink pad, and just stamp a piece of paper, and like you could physically see how many imprints you have. Mm -hmm. um, it's fascinating, because not only do imprints start storing prior to you even realizing it, and that's more so because our parents impose their imprints of fear on us, but every little thing for the good and the bad. So there's a whole pattern of evolution that happens. 
And, you know, this, uh, first of all, I love the metaphor of the tattoo imprinting in the amygdala. I love that. I'm going to start using that with patients who have chronic and persisting pain. I love it. Thank okay. you for that. You're welcome. Um, and it takes me back to, you know, as you know, Robin, I have a, a long history with chronic pain. And a lot of that was centered, what, what kind of made the pain worse or prolonged would be fear avoidance behaviors. Mm -hmm. So I can't do that. It's going to hurt my neck. I don't want to do that. It's going to hurt my neck. I can't, I can't sleep. It's going to hurt my neck. So now I look back and think of that day when that pain first happened. I woke up and couldn't get out of bed. Right. So, so much pain. And the thing that I guess I didn't connect until right now was how fearful I was. Right. The what if, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, how fearful I was laying in bed, not being able to move. So can you imagine the size of that tattoo in my amygdala? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the idea is, is to take it one step further is to realize what those imprints are and remove the ones that aren't serving you. And, you know, that's easier said than I was just going to say that. That sounds so easy. Yeah, it's not easy. No, 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 no. I'm not saying any of this is easy, but, but there's some that have been imposed that you really can't put your finger on it, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's some that you've had an, a, an accident or something that you can put your finger on it, but it's not serving you. And then there's some deeper wounds that you really have to work through. So, but if you can start removing the ones that totally aren't serving you, and actually work through it. So it makes you, the more you work through it, what I find with my clients, with myself, just people I deal with, it makes you live much more presently and, and actively. And it's, it takes courage. I always say it, it's you know, actively moving through the action with the conscious, courageous presence because you have to be present. And it is, it takes a lot of courage, no doubt. And how how do you start working through some of these things? Like, can you give the listeners, I don't know, one or two tips or, or exercises that they might be able to, to start doing today if they realize they have a fear that might be holding them back? So the biggest thing really is self-awareness. It's really taking the time for you to understand who are you and just you, right? Forget kind of the noise of what your responsibilities are. If you've got, you know, spouse, dog, kids, whatever stage of life you're in. And everyone has a different stage. So, and, and just to tell your listeners, I have three kids. Mm -hmm. Now 22, 24, 27. So I've done, I've been through a lot. Trust me. <laughs> so I get it all. But whatever stage that you're at, I always say build in five minutes every morning just to be in your own thoughts um, and ask yourself, what do you need? You know, it really does come down to self-awareness and saying, these are my non-negotiables of for me, only for me. And you're going to find that you become very aware of people that work in your life, things that work in your life, uh, conversations, and what's acceptable. Um, once you start doing that, you're able to kind of start peeling away and, and going after things that have held you back. You know, the other side of this conversation is that 
our brain, as brilliant as it is, and everyone's brain is, is great at keeping us in the patterns that it's been given. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that is reprogramming. And there's ways to actually get into your subconscious and reprogram. But it is reprogramming. So it's baby steps. And sometimes it's two steps forward and three steps back. And it's being very gentle with yourself and not beating yourself up and saying, okay, tomorrow's another day. But it's just breaking into a new pattern. And, and those patterns, I, I agree, in the brain are so, can be so deeply set, deeply set from childhood into you know, adolescence, into adulthood, like you said, whatever uh, stage in life that you're in. And you know, again, I go back to this population of people with pain which is a huge population across the world. It's a billion dollar industry. And mm -hmm. that's just back pain. Forget wow. about every other kind of pain. So I think being able to work with someone to maybe tap into some of these uh, patterns that we have developed, I think can really help people perhaps make sense of some of their pain, help overcome some aspects of that pain. Um, I can say anecdotally from myself, so an N of one, that, um, <laughs> that being able to do that for myself was really helpful. Mm -hmm. And I felt was, for me, the next step that needed to happen. I, I totally agree with you. And sometimes, like those patterns of, talking yourself like, but if I get out of bed, I, I might, I might hurt. Mm -hmm. But if you don't get out of bed and you don't try, will you hurt? Like, what is that uh, risk? Yeah, that's, you know, yeah, what, looking at the risk reward there, right? Right. I'll go back to a story, if you don't mind. Um, I'd love it. Yeah. When I was 11, I think I was 11. Um, I used to ride horses. I don't even know if I was good at it, but I used to ride horses. I had a really bad accident. I broke my back in three places. Oh my gosh. Um, I ended up being fine. Um, actually, it ended up being a, a blessing in disguise because I had a horrible scoliosis that they discovered. But um, I was in a back brace and possible surgeries. And you know, initially, it was like, is she going to walk and things like that. It was a nine-month recovery. But, and I was 11. So I think it, as much as it affected me, my parents really obviously dealt with it. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to my daughter being 10 years old, and we lived in the countryside of outside of D.C. in Virginia where horses are galore. She wanted to ride horses. I actually didn't think twice about it. It was a local farm. It was around the corner. I would take her. I would watch. Got her all the safety equipment. My father happened to call me. My mom had already died, and my father had called me and didn't call me often. And instead of like, hi, how are you today? He just ripped into me. He just, you know, his, the first thing out of his mouth was, um, I'm so disappointed. Are you stupid? And I was like, oh, well, those are triggers to my childhood. Hello, father. <laughs> <laughs> but when I sat now and I process it, I understand in a way where he was coming from. And I said, she's fine. I had an accident. And I understand your, your thoughts. So for me, I honestly had to make a conscious decision to say, I could have easily said, you're not going to ride because I had this accident and I'm afraid for you versus 
processing, listen, it was an accident. Logically, it was an accident. I'm going to be there. We have all the possible safety stuff. Is there a possibility of an accident? Yes. Is there the probability? I don't know. But why am I going to not let you try something because of what happened to me? Mm -hmm. So it's a real kind of, and that's just a, and that's an easy imprint to get rid of, right? Sure. But it's it's just an an example of making a real conscious choice to say, I'm going to cut that cord right there. Mm Mm-hmm. And not let that pass on. Because if I let it pass on, then she at some stage in her life would either say, I've always wanted to do this and I'm going to try it, or I'm never going to try it, but I wanted to do this. Yeah. And it's, it's so you were able to kind of change that imprint or cut that fear, but your father couldn't. No, he couldn't. He was furious. Oh, he was so mad. And, and that's coming probably for him of a place of fear. Right. I'm sure when that accident happened to you, your parents must have been beyond scared. I'm sure. I'm sure. And for them, you know, they obviously had to drive to every doctor's appointment and, mm-hmm. and all of that. And every, every ounce of pain I felt probably was as bad, if not worse for them, right? As sure. a parent. So, sure. so I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I get that as well. And I think that's a really great example for the listeners of how you can start to change these imprints or tattoos that have uh, taken hold in your brain to allow you to move forward in, in the PT world. And, and I, this is probably in more worlds than PT, but we call that um, graded exposure to activity. Mm-hmm. So when you, so for instance, for me, I'll give an example. Uh, I felt I couldn't carry anything because it would hurt my neck. So I carried nothing around New York City, a place where you have to walk everywhere and carry groceries and things. I was like, I can't carry anything. So I always get everything delivered (laughs) until until the one day um, I spoke with a physical therapist from Australia, David Butler, and he said, well, why don't you just go to the grocery store and put like, I don't know, a loaf of bread and a bag of snacks in, it would be so light and just carry it home and see what happens. Right. (laughs) And so that's what I did. And I got home. I was like, okay, that felt pretty good. And then each time I went, I would add one or two more things to the bag. So gradually exposing myself to the activity that I was fearful of doing. Oh, I love that. Until now I can carry, I'm like a pack mule, you know, (laughs) running around New York city. But if he had not encouraged me and helped me to see that I was doing a disservice to myself through fear, I don't know where I would be today. And I'm assuming that's what the kind of work that you do with your clients is helping them to see the fears that are holding them back. Right. Absolutely. So I try and work with everyone to see, to acknowledge what it is. And you have to acknowledge it, right? I mean, it's something, but is it, once you peel back that layer of it, is it, is it logical or is it illogical? Did something happen or did something not happen? And then what is the origin of it? And, and as you with the groceries, how do you start working through it? Mm-hmm. Because when you become more present and you start learning about you and like using you as an example, right? You learn that you were stronger than you thought. It didn't hurt. And now you're where you're at. 
instead of holding yourself back. So mm -hmm. you did move through it and you actively were aware of your surroundings and how you felt. Um, there's actually a genetic disorder called from Erbach-Weith disease. And it's a mutation where people cannot feel fear. Interesting. It's very rare. It's like 400 people in the world or something. And it's parts, it's not just in the amygdala. It's, it's parts of um, certain regions of that combination of the brain. I don't know the other exact mm -hmm. regions, but like that heart and, and kind of waste away. But um, now that wouldn't work to your advantage, right? I mean, you want to have that element of awareness. And I think that's what fear needs to be looked at like a positive awareness mm -hmm. of listening to yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think oftentimes when you're coming from a place of fear, or you're, or you're, you're in it, so to speak, it's really hard to acknowledge that because do people feel like acknowledging that is acknowledging a weakness that they might have? Exactly. I, and that, that's where the conversation needs to shift because I think when people realize that the science of fear exists, like the diagnosis is, is not if you have it or not. Everybody has fear. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So sci if we want to talk like, you know, as practitioners, the diagnosis is you have it. <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 The prescription is you have a choice on how you react to it. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, NetHealth. Let's talk about something important, patients and their outcomes. If you love to nerd out on this kind of talk like I do, the best industry event around outcomes management is happening from October 23rd to the 25th, and it's the Clinical Outcomes Summit. It's hosted by Photo, but it's not just for photo clients. It's a gathering of everyone who believes in the power of outcomes management to drive change for patients, clinicians, practices, and payers. And the best part, healthy, wealthy, and smart podcast listeners get a steep discount on the registration. The full summit pass is only $150. At that rate, go ahead and bring your entire team. Go to www.outcomesnerd.com and use the discount code LITZY. That's L-I-T-Z-Y. Hope to see you there. Now, in the beginning, you said it could be good or bad. So how could fear be good? Because I think we always associate with fear being bad. Right. And that's what has to change. That's the conversation that needs to shift. Because I think there's an element of fear that's good. I really do. I think it, it needs to work to your advantage. You know, I honestly think that it makes you stop and think. Now, again, there's different levels of people's fears, right? So I don't, <laughs> I don't think in a half hour, an hour, we're going to be able to like solve the world's problems. Uh -huh. But um, it's good because it makes you actively move through the action of fear. So if you can take that imprint and that tattoo and look at it and say, answer the questions, what is it? Identify, it. what is it? Why am I afraid of this? Why, why is this going to hold me back? Logically, why is this going to hold me back? Uh, logically. See, but isn't that's the hard part when you have fear. It's hard to get that logic, right? Right. <laughs> and think that's logically. Absolutely. And that's the whole part, though, of almost you have to reverse the brain, your brain function and trick your own brain because your brain is going to keep you set in that 
fear-based negative side. What we need to do is, is switch that whole paradigm to the positive side. So I was at a ropes course um, for a workshop that I did. And I was one of the facilitators. And the last part was this trapeze. For some reason, I don't like heights. I've never <laughs> fallen, but just not my thing. Like, I'm not going to jump out of an airplane anytime. Yeah. That, like, is not enjoyable for me. I don't ever see doing that. But this trapeze was like, climb up a tree. And this was like a pretty rustic course, by the way. <laughs> climb up this 40-foot tree that had the little pegs in it. Yeah. Um, turn around on a very small perch and jump, you know, like four feet out to catch the trapeze bar. Mm -hmm. I sat there for a while looking at it as most of the people were going. And I'm like, I think I'm good for the day. And then I'm like, you really got to go do it. Like, why not? Now you're totally harnessed in, right? Mm -hmm. So logically, I'm harnessed. There's no reason why I shouldn't. <laughs> My body, on the other hand, is like, I'm shaking like a leaf. I know I can't get hurt. Just do it. Like, you have to trust yourself to just go do it. Mm -hmm. I ended up climbing up this tree. Um, of course, when you get up to the top of the perch, I was turned around and hugging the tree. Yeah, that, yeah, <laughs> I, I could see that, yeah. Yeah, and like the guy below is like, okay, turn around. I was like, yeah, give me a second. <laughs> I'll, I'll be there in a moment. And, you know, go to the edge, and then they're like, just jump. And I was like, uh, okay, you know, and you have to pause. But again, it's that logic and your brain playing games with you. But mm -hmm. again, I'm standing in a harness where I know I'm not going to do a face plant onto the ground. Mm -hmm. So I took a deep breath, right? And I eventually walked to the edge and put my arms in front. I actually caught the trapeze. Thank God that would have been embarrassing. But, <laughs> um, but I trusted myself, you know? Again, I, will I ever jump out of a plane? No, because that's not enjoyable to me. <laughs> like, right. no there, there are limits to where you, you can push yourself. And if it's not, like Marie Kondo says, if it's not going to bring you joy, then right. I if don't it, think you have to do it. Right. But, but I did it. And it was a point, it was more proving to my own self that I could take that leap of trust. Mm -hmm. So there's, that's where I think it's really getting in tune and in touch with yourself that you can understand fear working for you and not against you mm -hmm. and really using it to um, move you forward in life. You know, I remember when I first started coaching, one of my first instructors said, when you're excited about something and you're fearful of something like that's a great combination. And I've always really, it's always proven true to me and I've always believed it um, because it's, it's kind of like not proceed with caution. It's just be aware. It's just that self-awareness, you know, listen to yourself, trust yourself, um, but go for it. And I think that's great advice. Listen, trust and go for it. Yeah. I mean, why not? Because what's the worst that can happen? You fail. And that's okay too, right? And that's but, okay. I failed plenty of times. Oh, me I, too. <laughs> I, my goodness, if you never failed in life, what have you been doing with yourself? Exactly. Um, yeah, right? So I totally get that. And now, so you went from, like I said, molecular geneticist. 
<laughs> I still laugh. <laughs> fear strategist, coach. How did you make that transition? I think this is a great question because there are a lot of people who work in healthcare, uh, very science-based, who are like, hmm, maybe I'm ready to make that leap, but I just have no idea what to do. It's a great question. So my transition took many years, <laughs> and let me cut it short for everybody else in the world. Um, so obviously I was younger and did my molecular genetics training and jobs. And then I took a stint of time to raise a family. And then I went back into the workforce. Um, smaller jobs. I always taught. I ended up, I mean, I taught biology and stuff like that. So I kept my science going. Um, not into research in my later years, but I kept it going. And then realized that I never really gave myself permission to be me and to use my voice and my strengths. And so that's when I started to kind of look towards the coaching program and especially working with professionals and women professionals, I think overall, but all professionals, allowing themselves to think outside the box. And in saying that, you know, and this comes down to the whole fear thing. We're always told that, you know, you're either left-sided, your brain is left-sided or right-sided, mm -hmm. right? We're dominant in one side or the other. So I really don't believe that. I feel like when you give yourself permission to really learn who you are, there's a great synergy that can happen, and you can combine both sides of your brain. And that's when you really start listening to yourself. So even if you're in a science-based world or something, you know, for me, my greatest strength right now is really connecting the dots back into the molecular genetics of fear and being able to bring a whole different angle and discussion and awareness um, that I would not be able to, and I don't think many people can um, have the discussion that I'm having with it because they just don't have that. So I, I think it's great to be able to combine your sciences and whatever creative side that you want to. Yeah, so don't throw away the science part. Use it. Use it to your advantage. Use everything you've learned to help others. Absolutely. There, there, there are ways to connect the dots. And it, I mean, like you and I, you were saying, you know, what, we've known each other a couple of years and it wasn't until recently that, yeah. that I either admitted it or you guys found out that, <laughs> that I was a, a gene finder. Yeah. Of, uh, um, well, and now, and now knowing that, it makes so much more sense for what you do now. Really? Isn't that funny? Yeah. So now I'm like, oh, now I, yes, this makes perfect sense. You know, there so you it, it just comes back full circle as to that. I think the natural progression for you in your career and you and, and, you know, what was next for you to me, it all makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense to me now too. It really is coming full circle. And I was actually just having a conversation. Someone's like, you know, you're kind of been in this business for several years now. And I'm like, actually, I feel like I'm new. I almost feel like I've started it over again mm -hmm. just because I finally allowed myself to mesh 
the world together. And that's what I would say is, you know, you don't have to stay science in the left brain and whatever the creative is in the other side, you can mesh it. And at whatever stage of life you're at, you know, if there's something that really excites you in that other world, find the time. And if, even if it's once a month or once a week, you know, find something in that other element that you want to explore. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. And, and now that takes me to the last question that I ask everyone, but I feel like you might've just answered it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. And that's what, knowing where you are now in your life and in your career, what advice would you give yourself as a new grad, as the molecular geneticist fresh out of college and grad school? Um, <laughs> well, I was very much an introvert, so maybe be a little more outspoken. Um, but but to allow allow things to happen and not think that it had to be one way and one way only. Mm. Um, I I walked that line. Like if it wasn't going to be something just molecular genetics, then I had to leave the field. You know what I mean? Um, and I think if I knew what I know now, although again it all works full circle, um, I would have realized like you can think outside the box. And I think that's what makes us all unique. And, you know, whatever your background is, you're bringing a very special element to the conversation. So think outside the box. And that's what I would have said to myself, you know, don't stop being creative just because you're taking one path. And, and I think that's great advice for anyone, but especially for women in the STEM profession. Mm -hmm. I think that's really great advice. Now, where can people find more about you? And if they have any questions, where are you? The best way to find me is just to go to my website, um, which is www.robinjoymeyers.com. -E and from there, you can get on my calendar. I'm always happy to set up a discovery call with anybody if you want to have just chat for 40 minutes and you have questions, um, things about what I'm doing and where I'm traveling. I'm busy speaking with the Fearless Women's Summit right now, all over, uh -huh. <laughs> all over the US. I know, you're everywhere. Um, and I'm taking a group only of 10 women to Italy in October for a retreat of giving yourself permission to be you. So yeah, just go to my website because that's the easiest way awesome. to find me. Awesome. Well, that sounds pretty amazing. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this information on fear with myself and with the listeners. And I can tell you, like I said, I'm totally using that tattoo thing. I think that's brilliant. So thanks for that. I'll give you credit for sure. Okay, I, will credit, I will credit you for that. Um, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks, Karen. It's been a blast. Thank you. And everyone out there, thank you so much for listening. Have a great Great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. And a huge thanks to Robin for coming on the podcast to talk all about fear. And of course, thanks to our sponsor, Net Health. So, Net Health is teaming up with Photo, which is focused on therapeutic outcomes for the Clinical Outcomes Summit. It is October 23rd to the 25th in Knoxville, Tennessee. There will be rehab therapy pros from hospitals and private practices gathering to celebrate, examine, and define outcomes management. You'll hear success stories and case studies from your peers about leveraging outcomes data for deep patient engagement, thoughtful business practices, clinician education, and optimizing revenue and more. 
Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast listeners get a steep discount. The full Summit Pass is only $150. Go to OutcomesNerd.com and use the discount code LITZY. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.